So <clears throat> the last time I was here, we had a healing school, which was appropriate, but I had a, a sermon prepared for you. It was another installment in my Chasing Donkey series. Uh, praise God, because, amen. Um, <clears throat> this is a concept that actually I stole it from someone, but everything that belongs to God, there's no private interpretation of his word, so praise God. But <clears throat> it was something that I was reading in a book by a gentleman who was talking about finding God in the everyday routine of life. And so he describes the story about Saul when his he was uh, uh, living in his father's house before he was anointed king of Israel. He was being obedient to what his dad had given him to do. And one of his last tasks was to chase donkeys. And so how many of you know that donkeys aren't easy to catch? When you catch them, you don't know if they're going to come with you and go home or if they're going to fight you all the way. They're known as very stubborn animals. And they're also known as very strong animals. And so we get the impression here that he's being given a routine kind of a task to do, but there's an element of, of tedium. There's an element of, do I want to do this? There's an element of, I don't know if it's going to work. Uh, I've done this before. How many times, Dad, do I have to run off and chase animals that we seldom find? Or when we find them, we're not sure we want them when we found them. And so we went over that story uh, when, I, when I did the first installment, a story about Saul and how he went from one place to another. And just when he was about to give up, the servant that, that his dad had sent him with him, his helper, uh, encouraged him to go on to the next place. And at the next place was a change in his life that totally revolutionized his life. There was a change he didn't know was coming. He never would have thought that he would wind up being the first king of Israel, but he was. And there wasn't even uh, an inkling that they would have a king because that was never in God's best plan for them. But how many of you know, because God has given us the ability to make decisions and to you know, live pretty much a life without him if we so choose, that God oftentimes will <clears throat> allow us to have some things that we've asked for, knowing that they're not going to be good for us, but then he will show us what the truth is. You got me? It's not that it is his will for certain things to happen. People go to hell every day, and that's not God's will. The Bible says it's not his will that any perish. But we have the ability to make these decisions on our own outside of him. And so Saul was, <clears throat> was to be chosen the first king of Israel. Why? Because the people demanded a king. And so God, uh, his first job was to give the people somebody they would accept and somebody they thought they wanted uh, to have in office. We do the same thing here. Whenever we have our elections, we get what the people's choice. And, uh, or sometimes it's not even all of the people. Sometimes it's certain interest groups that pay heavily to uh, advertise and all that kind of stuff for their favorite candidates. So we get what's allowed under our system. But Saul was, was uh, on this job obeying his father, and that's the important thing uh, that I want to underscore here. Chasing donkeys involves being obedient to what you know God has given you to do until you're sick of doing it and beyond. 
until it's boring you to tears and beyond. Until it's not exciting anymore and beyond. Until it's not what you really thought serving God was going to be about and beyond. You got me? It's about serving God through the routine, everyday things. And then beginning to understand that maybe that's what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> See, the routine and the everyday can be what you decide it's going to be. If you decide it's going to be the best thing for you, it will be that. And it's, it's, it's easy to do that if you can find God in these things. So really, the chasing donkeys is just a matter of finding God in the required things, finding God in the everyday things, finding God in the routine things, finding God in the things that would be boring, finding God in these things. And once you've found God in them, that makes a whole big difference that takes a put a different complexion on things totally altogether. Once you find God in them, you find that you have a companion, you have a friend, you have an encourager, you have somebody who <clears throat> can lead you into things that you never thought you'd be getting involved in because he's there with you. So, and this is a fight of faith. We have to fight to keep our attitudes correct. We have to fight to keep uh, understanding <clears throat> how to uh, stay fresh in God, how to, to keep where God wants us to be, all of these things. Everybody who's ever served God understands when you're new in the things of God, you have the zeal and the excitement of a newlywed. And then as you go on serving God, that zeal can wane a little bit. It can get a little bit routine. It can get a little bit boring. And that's when you need to learn how to be a self-encourager. And so you'll see that as, as, as we progress in God, you'll need all of the resources that God has given us to be able to stay in the race. Uh, I began to send some encouragement scriptures around. I haven't sent them around for a few weeks now. But uh, at the end of them, I always encourage people to finish strong. You know, you don't want to be carried out of here uh, on a stretcher serving God. You want to walk over into glory. So you want to finish strong. Amen. You want to keep the same enthusiasm and the same zeal for God <clears throat> that you had when you were new. But now you've got wisdom to go along with it. And so there is a place where as our uh, our um, relationship in God matures, we understand that God knows we need a little something extra to keep us going. And he'll provide that little something extra for us. You know, you don't have to work up enthusiasm in God. It's all within his spirit. And so if we get to a point where we think, well, you know, this is getting routine and what do I do now? And, you know, I don't feel like getting up and getting to, to church and getting there on time. You start dragging your feet. You start doing all kind of acting out things. Y'all can be Presbyterian if you want to, but I'm going to keep preaching. Because it happens to everybody. It happens to everybody. You know, sometimes you get tired of hopping on that bus and going to a different city and all that kind of stuff. And see... Y'all don't have to drive. All you got to do is get up, get on there, and go to sleep for three hours. It's the driver who ha who's having the challenge. See, we don't know when we have it good. We really don't. 
because we lose, because the complaint in us gets to be so large. Huh? It overshadows the joy of things. And so the enemy is able to rob our joy by hiding it from us through our complaint, our looking at the natural, our looking at <clears throat> what other people do, comparing yourselves to, you know, so-and-so's church. They don't do all of this, and, you know, they don't require this, and they don't, you know what I'm saying. Well, you can go over there and live like they live. Uh, you know, you're free. Nobody's holding you back. Nobody's holding you down. But you've got to understand this. Is this what God has ordained for you or not? Hmm? When the donkey chasing is a part of what God's ordained for all of us, folks. There is a place of preparation. There is a place of maturing. There is a place of obedience and steadfastness that causes us to gain favor and glory in God. He will pour no wine before his time. Huh? Amen. Sometimes we think it's due season for our blessing, and we're just not getting the planting started. We haven't even planted it right. Everybody wants their blessing prematurely. Huh? And then when we <coughs> have situations where God does come through quickly for us, it blows your mind so fast you're in shock and in a stupor. Huh? Somebody got to lead you out by the hand because you got blinded by the glory of God. I can't believe he did this this quick. That's why he don't do everything this quick because we'd have to put you away somewhere. That's the truth. You'd have to put me away somewhere. Huh? <coughs> So we're all dependent upon God. We're all dependent upon our faith. This is a faith walk. We put one foot in front of the other every day just because we know it's the right thing to do and we're trusting God for a good outcome when we do this. So in, in, in Chasing Donkeys, we're doing, keeping up with a daily routine, doing our duty. Sometimes you're not sure if you're significant to God. This is the other part of it. Sometimes if, if you listen to the enemy enough, he can cause you to diminish in stature in your own eyes. Now that diminishing in stature is a part of what God wants out of us, but we do that voluntarily. See, it's one thing if I humble myself, it's something different if I allow the enemy to humiliate and humble me. You can choose either one. But if you humble yourself, the Bible says God will exalt you in due season. Amen. Amen. What we oftentimes do is we stoop down a little bit and keep looking for when it's time to jump up. That's no good. No good, no good, no good. You've got to, if God, if I have to do this until Jesus comes, as long as I know it's pleasing to you, I'm going to do it. Amen. God, if I have to do this until whatever, as long as I know it's pleasing to you, I'm going to do it. You know, this is what you've given me to do. This is what I've signed on to do, and you're trusting me to be faithful. You're testing me to see if I'm going to be faithful to it. And so sometimes these things will stretch us way beyond our, our limit of what we think we can be stretched, but then we continue in it and we're stretched some more. 
How many times have we complained? Oh, I'll be glad when... I'll be glad. You should be glad now. Mm -hmm. Why would you postpone, postpone your joy based on circumstances? Huh? When joy is a spiritual fruit, you can enjoy that at any time. So we live too much in the natural sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And this process of chasing donkeys keeps us in the spirit. Because the only way you're going to survive these times in your life where it's not as exciting to you, it's not this, it's not that, you got all of the not seasons in life, the only way you're going to survive those is to stay close to God and stay in the spirit and consider it your discipline. It's your routine. It's what God's assigned you to do. There's nothing wrong with staying with God's assignment for you, and there's nothing wrong with having a routine in your assignment. I see people killing themselves trying to be something. You know what I'm saying? And God's already made you something. Okay. And chasing donkeys, you're almost robotic in what you do. Every now and then something exciting occurs, but for the most part, it's a routine. For some of us, us it's a job and a family and getting up, combing the same kid's hair. You know, sometimes you just want to buy them a wig to get a different routine in the morning, something. And that's for the boys. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But, you know, it's so boring, it gets to be kind of like, oh, boy. You know, when's this going to be any different? But it's good if you can find joy in those things. If you can find God in them, you can find joy in them. Worldly people, when they hit this type of a, a place in their lives, will uh, sink further into sin. And this is also a time when believers err and step out of the will of God. Just so you can have something different to do or something different to say. People will tend to heap, uh, they'll get itching ears. A lot of times believers will get itching ears. They want to get this next revelation that they heard somebody preach on television and start buying up all of their tapes and all of this kind of stuff, you know, eating garbage when you could be feeding, amen? Because what's meat for somebody else may not be meat for you, you got me? And we start feeding on things other than what we're supposed to feed on Sometimes God does give you that for you and give it to you to broadcast it to everybody and trying to be somebody's teacher and trying to do those things. Make sure you stay with it and get the fullness of what you need to get out of it for you, you know, and not walk away from it. And so these routine things that God puts us in are very important for our character development and they're also very important for positioning because if nothing else the routine will do, it will position you for what God has for you that's coming next in your life. Amen. And isn't that what we're all looking for? Amen. We're bored because we want the next great thing that God's going to get us involved in. And so the routine keeps us positioned so we don't miss the next thing that God has for us. Sometimes people miss it by a week, a day. A month, it seems the enemy starts to agitate us and get us upset when he knows that our breakthrough is imminent. And so if we will learn how to stay put, like Jesus did, endurance, you know, enduring suffering, enduring, uh, you know, discomfort, enduring 
persecution, enduring humiliation, enduring all of these things, because God will certainly come for you, and if he knows where you are, it's going to be so much easier for him to bless you. So in 1 Kings 19, we have the story about Elisha, who was a man of God who was called to stand in Elijah's place in God's kingdom. The story about Elijah has been <clears throat> one of, of uh, a lot of, I think, a lot of innovation. He was called almost out of nowhere. He wasn't trained. Uh, he wasn't uh, part of Samuel's school of the prophets. He was called sovereignly by God. God can prepare a place for you to be trained, and you can expect the call, or he can just drop it on you, and he calls people sovereignly. Many of the people that we see who are innovators uh, in God's kingdom have that sovereign call on them. There's something about the relationship with God when you are not expecting anything great to happen in your life. Sometimes that has an impact on people that kind of carries them through to the end. It's not a guarantee, of course, but there's something sometimes about the sovereignty of God that he has to show people, I don't have to do what everybody expects. I don't have to go the way everybody expects. I can do what I want to do because I'm God. All by myself, I'm God. And so Elijah was called that way, but there was a school of the prophets that he was in charge of where he was training other men of God to stand in that office. And Elisha is called sovereignly right after Elijah. So in 1 Kings 19, <clears throat> in verse 4, we see that Elijah has already uh, defeated the prophets at Baal, Baal's prophets. He's exposed them as being frauds and being devils and told the people to make up their minds which God they're going to serve, and the, God, the people have agreed to serve the living God. The God who answers by fire, he's God. And so the people begin to turn away from the gods of Baal, and they begin to once more turn to the uh, one true and living God. So we see kind of a revival here. We see a, a breakthrough in the spiritual life of the nation of Israel. And Elijah is the one who is in charge of that. Jezebel then threatens him and she sends messengers to him saying that she's going to uh, kill him and just like you killed, you know, getting retaliation. And we know that happens, don't we? You've been doing this prayer long enough to know that voices will come to you putting extreme fear on you sometimes when you serve God and all that kind of stuff. And so you can expect the messenger of Jezebel to come and want to buffet you. And so he says in verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life for I am not better than my father's. So apparently Elijah is looking, you know, at his family history and Pa died when he was so-and-so and, you know, uncle died when he was so-and-so and why should I keep living? Plus he's fearful for his life. And so it appears that Elijah may be coming down to the end of his ministry. And so God has to prepare somebody to take his place. And so as he's, God is looking around, <clears throat> he sees he already has somebody in mind for that spot. 
even though Elijah is grooming some other prophets, and we'll see that a little bit later in the story, none of those men qualify. And you'll see why. Because this business of chasing donkeys is, is very, very important for people to be positioned where God wants them to be positioned for their next place in line. And even though these are, these are what, what I call your typical church kids, the prophets, the sons of the prophets who are under Elijah, typical church kids. They sit in service. You don't know what they're getting. You don't know. And so God has got them in a place of preparation. But it's up to them to receive and absorb what it is that God has for them. Because there will come a time where their knowledge will be challenged and what's in them will be revealed. And so here the sons of the prophets have a revelation coming where they think they know what God's about to do, but they have no clue. And so <clears throat> here we have in verse 8, if you drop down to verse 8, it says, uh, he arose and did eat and drink. And when the strength of that meat, 40 days and 40 nights until Horeb, the Mount of God, and he came into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down their, your altars, so forth and so on. Well, God, he just took care of that. See, Elijah is living in an old mindset of... The people are backslidden, and I'm the only one who's serving God. But didn't he just take care of that? Didn't the people agree to serve God? So they've come out of that backslidden mentality, but the leadership is still there. And so many times when leadership refuses to move ahead and refuses to accept the change and refuses to go into the new move, God cannot do anything with them but replace them with somebody else. And so we see that a lot of times in the body of Christ. We see people who have prophesied about the new move and talked about the new move of God. When it comes time for the move to come, they are still stuck in that old mentality and they go, can't go forward. So Elijah's days here are numbered. In verse 10, he has a pity party, thinking he's the only one who really wants to serve God. <clears throat> and he never gets a chance to see the big picture. In verse 15, it says, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you come, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall you anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall be you anoint to be a prophet in your room. And so this is the first time Elijah has heard of this person. Many times when God starts to raise somebody up, they're like the new kid on the block. Who is that person? Where did they come from? Well, how did they get trained? What did they do? Who's their covering? Who's over them? We went through that many years when we first got started. God want, people wanted to know who this many, what are they watching? What kind of watchmen? What's that? Are they Jehovah's Witnesses? We got called that so much. Because people don't even know the Bible. They don't even know that watchmen come from the word of God. And so when we started <clears throat> this ministry, we started more like a sovereign move and a sovereign, sovereign gift of God. Now everybody's a prophet. When we got started, if you told somebody you were a prophet, you got thrown out of the church. Or who do you think you are? You, they don't have prophets anymore. You bragging on yourself. Who you, you think you better than everybody that came to us a lot. 
And so when you start in the things of God, how you start oftentimes is how you're going to finish. You're going to start out persecuted, and if you keep up with God, you're going to keep being persecuted because you have to stay on that road that he puts you on. And as forerunners, we can't slide back and get comfortable because everybody else in the body of Christ is doing it now, and we don't have a job to do anymore as far as moving out, moving forward, and, and cutting through a lot of difficulty, spiritually speaking, and blazing through. That's why many times people get a little complacent, you know. Uh, your prayers get to be routine. Or your, your prayer time, if you can cut it short, you try to cut it short. You know, whereas you used to, when you had prayer with your prayer partner, you'd set aside a good hour to pray. Now it's 20 minutes, half hour, whenever you get time, or you got to take a nap first, or you go to sleep on the phone, or, you know, that kind of stuff. And so when we started out, though, everybody was excited about what we were doing. We were zealous about it. We were <clears throat> determined to continue with God. But see, this business of chasing donkeys, doing the routine things until the rest of it catches up to where you started out at, gets to be a little bit difficult. I don't know of many people who have a ministry that's devoted to prayer where you call people together to pray on a continual basis. They still have that 6 o'clock on Wednesday morning with a few elderly ladies that are retired to come to the church with the pastor and pray a little bit. Many people don't pray. They don't have manuals for prayer. They don't have any of this kind of stuff that God's given us to use so that it makes our prayer effective and it makes it easy for other people to use, all that kind of stuff. And so we started out as innovators and we will still be innovators because God has given us a mandate to continue this work. So I'm not quitting and I'm not slowing down. I'm not going to <clears throat> I'm not going to slack off because you know people don't understand what we're doing. There are some people who feel called and then after a while they don't care anymore. There's nothing that you can do about it, nothing I can do about it. You have to let those people go ahead and find what they want to do in God. So you're going to see all kinds of reactions to what God's doing. My advice is just stay focused on what he's given to you to do and continue to do it <coughs> and continue to minister to people and encourage other people to get involved because this is a work of God that will help them greatly if they will devote themselves to it. And so in verse uh, 16, where we said, uh, Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall you anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, he'll be a prophet in your room and it will come to pass that he that escapes the sword of Haziel Jehu shall slay so God is saying I'm taking care of that problem you say is so bad see you're saying there's nobody left but you to serve me I, I got a remedy for that and I'm going to take care of it big time and so he says yet I have left in verse 18 7,000 in Israel all the knees which have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So what God's saying, I know who my people are and I know where they are. What we need to do is stay focused on what God gives us to do. We got to make sure that we remain his people and we don't give up and we don't fall back and we don't quit. So in verse 9 it says, He departed there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth, 
And Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle upon him. Now, throwing a mantle on somebody is a, a symbolic sign of the call of God on that person. Symbolic sign of a call of God on that person. Um, I, uh, when I was newer in the things of God, God would have me do that many times when I would, uh, you know, uh, go in, in, in minister different places and all of that. It was, it, you know, it's kind of upsetting to people in charge because they, you know, sometimes didn't know how to take all of that. I remember Benny Hinn used to uh, take his coat and hit people with it, and they persecuted him so much for that, he quit doing it. Should have kept doing it. Look at all the trouble down the road he's had. See, you don't know, when you're persecuted for something, and you keep doing it, the Bible says, great is your treasure in heaven. And see, if you've got a wife who's hooked on drugs and divorces you, you need to have great treasure laid up in heaven. Amen? Makes a difference, folks. It makes a difference. And so <clears throat> here we have, uh, oh, I was back to my story about the mantle. Many people think that that's something that just comes out of nowhere. You can claim. Remember that? I'm claiming so-and-so. God puts some, I'm getting so-and-so's mantle. I got so-and-so's mantle on me and so forth and so on. But, but that was always a sign of the call of God on a person's life. And then at the end of that individual's life that wore the mantle originally, it was a sign of the anointing of God on the one that wound up with the mantle <clears throat> at the end of their life. I remember uh, there was a woman that came to uh, a conference. Let me think it was that year that we were at that other hotel in Southfield. It's only been maybe about four years ago. Yeah, the Hilton. What year were we there? It's about three or four years ago. No, no, it was just recently. Yeah, yeah, it was about three or four years ago. But anyway, I hadn't seen this couple in like 20 years. And they came to, to the conference. The husband was sick then. He has since passed away. But they had decided that they were come. She said, oh, she said, do you remember me? And I said, I said, I think so. She said, I'm Jane. She said, you came to our church, and it was, <clears throat> you know, about a two hours north of Detroit in Michigan. And it was kind of out in the sticks somewhere. And I remember that was when Sandy Brown was here. So that was beginning of our ministry. It was like in the, in the mid-90s, something like that. And so she said, she said, yeah, she said, you put your, your, your coat on me. And I remember leaving it because I had another, an outer coat that I wore. It was cold outside. But God told me to put that on. And she said, you know, she said, I was drunk in the spirit for three days. She said, but God did a miracle there. She's got a, she and her husband had a good ministry, solid ministry for many years. Her son's now pastoring that ministry since her husband passed away. But she said, I can tell you one thing it did for me. She said, people made fun of me in that church before that happened. Chasing donkeys, being faithful, taking your persecution, taking your lumps. Uh-huh. And instead of her leaving, she stayed. 
And she said, from that day forward, she said, they started to have more respect for me. They started to use me more. God started to reveal more things to me, and I started to grow in the Spirit of God. I, I get her Facebook posts on Facebook, and I recently told her, I said, you know what, Miss Jane? I said, you need to write a book. I said, because the posts that she puts on Facebook are so full of wisdom and so gracious and so helpful to people. And she said, you know what, my husband and I kept a journal for the last 10 years of his life. She said, and I've been praying about what to do with it. So you see, she's still chasing her donkey. Yeah. She's still buying her time. Still, to, But positioning herself, because had she not come to the conference, we wouldn't have had that second connection where now she can bridge over into the next level of ministry that God has for her. You understand me? It's very important. Amen. It's very important that we follow through on these things that God gives us to do. I put more coats and mantles on people than I can remember some, <laughs> sometimes. And sometimes you wonder if people receive them. I, we, that's how we started doing our, uh, our, uh, our prayer cloths, you know, where uh, we cut them up after the meeting's over and always value the anointing. And, and it's not just some kind of religious routine to do, but it is the way the power of God is transferred to help humanity. You understand me? And so these things are important to understand. It's important to be obedient to these things. It's also important to get your instruction from the word of God. I didn't have any prophets to teach me what to do. I didn't have anybody to train me. And then when I found a school to go to, God never told me to go there. You understand what I'm saying? And so these things are important for us to understand that as long as God has this kind of sovereign relationship with us and we stay obedient to him, you, we can be in the place that God wants us to be when he wants us to be there. He knows where he can find us, and he knows that we are willing to obey him. So there's steps here in, in getting to the next level. <clears throat> Stay in your routine until God tells you to move and beyond. Sometimes it's good not to be so hasty to move on to the next thing. Don't burn bridges leave in peace because you might have to come back amen and so it's a good thing to be able to to not see the body of christ is not like a job that you leave it's not like a uh, uh something else that you might disconnect from you can't disconnect from the family of god you always have to be a member of the family and if you get a reputation of not being faithful and dropping the ball and running off and all that kind of stuff. A bad reputation will follow you faster than a good one will. You got me? And so we have to understand that God has his way. He'll protect people also from people who aren't sincere and aren't faithful and aren't true. And so it's good to stay in a place where God wants you to be. So Elisha now is being called. This mantle is thrown on him, but he's out in the field plowing oxen. Whenever I would put my mantle on people, I didn't wonder if they bathed that day. If, I should have wondered if I did. You know what I'm saying? Throw your clothes on people. But you know what I'm saying? It is what it is. And so, <laughs> but he calls Elisha, and he's out working and sweating in the hot sun, plowing a field of 12 oxen. Uh, the Bible hints that they are a wealthy family. 
because for them to have so many oxen and so much land, yet he's still plowing. And they usually had servants to do these things. But it looks like Elisha is a hands-on kind of person. You got me? He's a type of person that wants to make sure the job is done well. And so he says, <clears throat> he went, so he departed, found Elisha, verse 19, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th, and Elisha, Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said to him, go back again. For what have I to do with, you know, in other words, and what he's saying here is that's your decision to make. I'll give you a span of time to tie up loose ends. Amen. Different from Jesus's approach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can't miss it. Drop what you're doing and come on with me now or you've missed your opportunity. Amen. Different dispensation, different covenant. And so here Elijah gives him an opportunity to say goodbye to his family, which is what he wants to do. And so he says in verse 21, he returned back from him, took a yoke of the oxen and killed them, boiled their flesh, etc., etc. And then he destroyed the yoke that was holding them together. So what he did was he utterly destroyed his way back to his prior life, to his family. This is a symbol of your born-again experience. Because the way back into sin has been obscured by the blood of Jesus. People try to backslide. They try to get involved in sin after they've been saved. And they find they don't have a taste for it anymore. They can't even stay in the gutter anymore. Why? Because that the oxen have been killed. They've been cut up and eaten. And the yoke that held them together has been destroyed. And so when we come into that life in Christ and that obedience to God, the way into disobedience is harder than it is into obedience in him. How people get involved in things. See, you see the trick of the enemy is to keep you thinking that you can't do any better. Keep you thinking you can't stop. I see people coming into the things of God and still sleep around and been in church sleeping around for years and never stop because the devil's got them convinced that they, when they, he gets them between a rock and a hard place, instead of them calling on the name of the Lord, they sit there and listen to his nonsense and he gets them convinced they can't do any better. And he started telling them, well, so-and-so doing it. Well, you, you look around. There's a lot of people in here ain't doing what they're supposed to do in God. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's very, very easy for the enemy to get in there. But I'm telling you, for you to be able to get back into sin the way you enjoyed it when you, before you got saved, it would be just as hard as parting the Red Sea again. Because when the Red Sea closed in up on those, that sin of Egypt and that lifestyle, it killed everybody in that lifestyle. So there was no Egyptian lifestyle even to go back to if you were stupid enough to sit up there and wonder what it would be like to go back to that. That's why we pray for this pleasure season of sin to be over for everybody. If you're going to come into God, come all the way into God. Don't have one foot in here and one foot in the world. You'll never enjoy it. And you won't enjoy the fruit of it. There'll always be a little sting there. 
Gee, I wish I would have stayed. I wish I would have. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, huh? And so it's good to stay obedient to God. I don't care if they call you boring, not fun, ugly. Huh? <laughs> you don't want to be the hot Christian. You want to be the Christian. You don't need no... You don't need no titles in front of your name. You just want to be a Christian. Uh, <laughs> I would have people sometimes, you know, because I, you know, God's blessed me to kind of be non-judgmental to worldly people sometimes, you know. Uh, you know, I'm just waiting for the right timing in God to say what I need to say. I don't need to make up any kind of false attitude against people. And, and so I would have people say, uh, Remember Gordon over at the Van Dyke Park? Rev, I like to talk to you, Rev. I like to talk to you, Rev. I like to talk to you. He said, I don't mean that in a... In a I said, I know what you mean, Gordon. I'm not religious. I don't get on your case. I said, I know you in sin. You're a sinner. I said, I'm going to pray for you anyway. Prayed for him to get back with his wife. Remember he left his wife? And immediately after he got with this other woman, he broke up with her. He said, I was so angry. He said, when I realized what she had seen, when you pray for, for the devil to take the blinders off the minds of people. You know? And God showed me. He said, you can pray these things. He said, I will do them for people. Huh? I'll do them for people. People can get enlightened because of our words. So we'll get back to Elisha. So here Elisha destroys everything about his old life. He's determined not to go back again. Some people consider the call of God to be precious. And they have no intention of going back again, nor do they have any intention of being a halfway committed person. Amen? So he makes it clear he wants to be committed all the way and not, not halfway. He makes a, a blood sacrifice in honor of what God's doing for him. So that's part of what slaying the oxen is about. And so he goes on to follow the man of God. <clears throat> Let me see. Verse 21. So in verse 21, we see where he had completed chasing his donkeys. He wasn't looking to be the next prophet. It's very important in God's eyes that you look to, to be satisfied doing what you're doing until Jesus comes. You got me? You can't be looking to be the next somebody. Many times people who are prominent, you know, if they get on TV or something and have a popular message, everybody wants to flock to their place. Why? They're looking to be the next one. They're not there because God sent them. They're there because they're looking to, be, to get something for free or for half price. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm part of Bishop Jake's ministry now. I'm going down to the potter's house. You know, there's more ministers down there. Huh? Fred Hammond's sitting up down there. He's had two knee replacements. And the pastor he left in Detroit's got a miracle ministry. See, when you don't like chasing your donkeys no more, it might take a while before it catches up with you. You understand what I'm saying? But I'm telling you, he had a miracle anointing that he was under as a minstrel in that house for years and walked out from under it. He's sitting at Potter's house, but he's getting artificial knees now. 
And he's barely, Fred's not even 50 yet, is he? Probably 50, if, if that. 52? Uh-huh. But see, he could have real knees. He could have healed knees. See? What are they going to replace next? And nothing against him, but you know and I know that it would have been better for him to have stayed under the man of God. That You're going to leave somebody with a healing anointing to go somewhere where they let homosexuals lay hands on your pastor? So, in 1 Kings 21, that's where we want to pick up again. Uh, 21, 21, we see Elijah judging uh, Ahab, and it's coming to the end of his ministry. And 1 Kings 21, 21, <clears throat> Behold, I will bring evil upon you and take away your posterity, cut off from Ahab, him that all the men of the family <laughs> and they're shut up in Israel. So there's a, a little work left for Elijah to do. He has to clean up a, th a few things for God. He judges Elijah and Elijah's household. In 2 Kings chapter 1, <clears throat> he has a few more duties to do there. And <clears throat> his last prophecies are given to Ahaziah, the son of Ahab. I think it's Ahab's son. And so he's coming down to the end of his ministry. You know how much time it's been since he threw his mantle around Elijah? I mean, Elisha? It's about four years. Elisha, because he's chasing his donkeys and satisfied, not looking to be anybody special, not looking for a mantle, not looking for nothing, gets trained in four years where the sons of the prophets that were born there Got, some of them got 20, 30, 40 years on him, and they're not chosen. So God can do in a very short time in somebody who's obedient what he can never do in people who are just hanging on and just there sucking up air and not really being obedient to God and what God wants them to do. And so it's a good story. It's a good contrast story for us to look at. If you're going to be involved in the things of God, be all the way involved. You can be coming to church and barely hanging on. You can be dragging your feet, not wanting to be there. You can be doing all these things and will get skipped over for what God has for his best. And somebody who just has a lot of zeal and a lot of you know, little understanding and just wants to get going from God, for God can come in and take the whole show because they are where God has positioned them and God is looking for something in people that he knows he can work with. And, and I'm telling you, obedience to the nth degree is something that God never overlooks. It'll always pay off for you. It'll always be a work for you, be working for you. So in 2 Kings chapter 2, we see <clears throat> uh, here uh, Ahab, I'm sorry, Elijah gives his last prophecy to Ahab's son. And so his ministry is winding down. He uh, uh, prophesies that, that uh, the, man, the, the men are trying to get him to change his words that he gave to the king. He told the king that he was going to surely die. He had fallen down and broken his neck or got hurt really bad. And he's going to send his messengers to uh, somebody who prophesies for the devil. And Elijah, you know, undertakes for God. 
and they threaten to kill him. And he keeps sending captains of 50 and 50 and so forth until finally Elijah withstands them and they're not able to overtake him. God will have the office protected by somebody who is able to withstand that. So Elijah's last actions for God are actions where he, he protects the integrity of the prophet's ministry and doesn't compromise. And so God knows that Elijah is on his last go-round as far as living is concerned. He's going to let him come up to heaven pretty soon. But he wants this man of God to prepare properly for the next person. Sometimes what you're doing in God is preparation for somebody who has to step into that. Maybe ministry, it may be in your household, it may be in your family, it might be in the church, it might be in the body of Christ worldwide. You don't know, but being obedient to God until the end is very important in God's eyes. He doesn't like a lot of retired preachers floating around down here on earth. He likes us to stay in the service of God. You don't retire from the anointing. You don't retire from being a Christian. When you go to heaven, you'll still have stand in the same office. If you're a pastor or a prophet down here on earth, you'll be a prophet or a pastor up in heaven. You have the same call and the same identity throughout eternity. And so when we understand that God is helping us to maintain not only our personal thing, much of this is not personal to you. We have to have a different worldview about ourselves as believers. Isn't it funny? We never get so discouraged we want to quit praying when it affects something across the, the continent someplace else, but when it comes to something we want for ourselves, we're so tired and crazy and, and we want to stop because we view things totally differently and God sees it as all the same. He sees your prayer for you as the same as he sees your prayer for somebody, some Christian who's getting knocked upside their head because they're trying to pray and worship him. Sees it the same. And so we have to keep the same view that God has. Whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to do it without question, without getting fatigued, without wondering if it's going to do me any good. Is this the, you know, when am I going to get mine and how long am I going to have to, you know, he'll have you work until you get all of that out of you. Or die with it, I don't know. You understand what I'm saying? But we're to stay in the place where God's called us to be so that we can be found by him at the proper time. And so in Second Kings chapter 2, it says, It came to pass, verse 1, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Elisha said to him, as the Lord liveth and as your soul lives, I won't leave you. This is the way they'd always relate it to one another. When Elisha came into Elijah's life, the prophets, the sons of the prophets always picked at him. They said he poured water over his hands. That's how close he was to him. In other words, if Elisha... If Elijah got up to wash his hands, Elisha was right there with him, serving him. You got me? And so when, he, when they started understanding that here was somebody who was called differently than they were, they began to persecute them and try to separate them. That went on through Elisha's life with this man of God. Elijah would test him 
trying to get him to separate from him to see if his heart was right. Are you in it because God wants you to be in it or are you in it for something else? Sometimes leaders don't ever try and discern the difference where a person's heart is. Are they in it because they really love God or are they in it as their hearts turned now and they're trying to make themselves famous? So you have to be able to discern those things. Elisha said to him, I will not leave you. And they went to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said to him, don't you know that God's going to take him away today? So don't you know that? In other words, why aren't you looking for something else to do? This man's getting ready to die. And little did they know that in, they thought that in four years, this man would never be prepared to take over anything. They all thought that they would be the ones to take over anyhow. You get me? Even when the handwriting on the wall says something else, there are some people that die hards that believe that they're going to be the next. Hey, we got one in our family. Sitting over in a Baptist church, know how to pray in tongues, but they think they're waiting for the pastor, something to happen to the pastor, and they're going to, Ask them to be up in the pulpit. If God didn't call you, man certainly can't call you. If it's in you to preach, listen, you don't have to be saved for 20 years for the preach to come out on you if you're called to preach. You understand what I'm saying? You're not waiting on a man to die. So you can, in fact, they've had a pastor die over there and he's still sitting on a, in fact, he's moved further back in the congregation. Nobody's, it's, you know, the distance between the front row and the pulpit may look short, but it's a long way if you're not being obedient to God. Do you understand me? And so here these sons of the prophets are trying to separate Elisha from his future. And he, and Elisha has sense enough to know that this man of God holds his future. And he says, don't you know the Lord's going to take the master, master from your head today? And he said, yes, I know it, but hold your peace. In other words, y'all shut up. I'm trying to stay focused on my blessing here. Huh? You know, it's good to rebuke people that have devils from coming wanting to speak in your ear all the time. Elijah said to him, amen. He said, Elisha, tarry here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were in Jericho came to Elijah. See, they're everywhere. You got me? There's, somebody is there everywhere looking to be the next great somebody. There's more unqualified people trying to be great than there are qualified people paying the price. You want to be where you're supposed to be paying the price so that when God comes to step you up and show you what's next for you, then you're right in the place to do it. Never get bored with the routine of sharing your faith with people because that's the greatest gift you can give to humanity, period, is the knowledge of God. Some people want to, well, you know, I've done that already. Do it again. You need to do it some more. You need to do it every day. You need to do it more often. huh? Some of us don't have enough people that we minister to. He says here, um, where was I? Verse 6. Elijah said, <clears throat> oh, verse 5, sons of the prophets came to him that were at Jericho. See, they were at uh, Gilgal. 
They're over at Jericho. They're at Bethel. They're all over the place. And he said, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, I won't do it. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to him and said to him, don't you know the Lord's going to take him away? And he says, yes, I know it, but hold your peace. And Elijah said to him, Terry, I pray you here for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. He said, as the Lord liveth and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And, they, and the two went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophet went and stood to view afar off. That's a problem with people who don't pay the price. They're always at a distance. They're never close up. They never pay the price. Far off, you will never pay the price for what God wants you to have for him. You've got to get close up. You've got to get involved. You've got to be willing to come and get the pastor when she has to go to a different city. You've got to be willing to do all those things. Am I making myself clear? See, you won't get much. And I'm not talking about being the next me. You don't want to be the next me. You want to do you. But do it in, in the name of the Lord. But I'm talking about basic things that you may need for your life. You might need a blessing that only being up close is going to get you. You got me? I won't bite you. I don't say nothing, do I? When we ride, I'm, I'm very, I say very few things. So I'm not waiting to get you in that car so I can jump you and tell you all. I'm trying to sleep. If you would keep your eyes on that wheel, I can sleep a lot better. Huh? But, you know, the devil tells people all kind of crazy things about folks. Well, you know, she, you, she ain't going to tell you driving good. She ain't going to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you ain't driving good, I am going to tell you. I ain't crazy. <laughs> if I sleep with one eye open, that's because I don't really have peace about closing the other one. But you see what I'm saying? See, some things you got to get close up to get from God. And it can't be just lip service. See, you, you sign up on the sign-up sheet, and then somebody else can't make it, and God tells you you got to do it this time just to see if you're going to crab hmm? or if you're going to do it with grace because there's grace to do whatever God tells you to do. You can be pleasant about it. You can be peaceful about it. But sometimes, he'd see, that's how he separates out the people who are just running their mouths because Christians do an awful lot of that from people who, to make you sure that your heart's in it when you talk. He wants people that have their hearts in things. He's not thinking about your words. God don't believe we're going to do nothing until we do it. You got me? He's not a faith talk person. Faith without works is, he won't no dead faith in his house. He wants his faith people to be alive. So the two went on in verse 6. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets stood afar off. And Elijah took his mantle, wrapped it together, and hit the waters. And they were divided uh, from one side to the other. So the two went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over. Elijah said to him, ask what I shall do for you before I be taken away from you. And he says, let me have a double portion of your spirit upon you. Now, what he knew, this is very important, because your perceptions of your needs in ministry or your needs in your life are very important to God. They are God-given. The sons of the prophets were not looking at anything other than what they could see the office entailed. People want to look up to you. You got servants all over the place. People give you gifts. And that what Gehazi thought it was all about? 
until he wound up with the man's leprosy that he took the money from. Now, the law of contact and, and transmission allows for that. Remember the prophet said, is it time to take a gift? Leprosy is highly contagious. See, it's good to listen to God before you go grabbing stuff, before you make the grab. That this was not known about leprosy until the 20th century. But see, God had it in the books all along. When you're a leper, you stay away from people. You don't touch this. It's unclean. Blah, 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 blah. Now, if God had told a man of God to take it, it would have been fine. But Elijah said, is it time for us to take a gift? So he takes it, thinking it's okay, and the leprosy's on it. So that's how the leprosy. It wasn't God looked and said, well, you've been bad. You have that. He got that all on his own. So he says here, <clears throat> they stood, and he took his mantle, and he said, what shall I do for you? He said, let a double pour. He said, in other words, this is a tough job. I'm going to need as much as I can get, because this is a hard man. All these sons of prophets, all these wannabes running around here, talking and yanging all the time and running their mouth and all this kind of stuff. He said, no, nah, I need twice what you got. Because uh, <laughs> you're barely making it. you at the end of the face. I need it. I need a lot more than what you got. See, it's smart to get your request from God. Smart to know that. And he says, you've asked a hard thing, and it is a hard thing. The, Jesus said, it's hard enough for the master, for the servant to attain to the level of the master. It's hard to exceed that. You got me? But it's possible with God. And so he says, <clears throat> verse, you've asked a hard thing in verse 10 and Verse 10, nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, in other words, just stay doing what you're doing. Keep chasing your donkeys. I'm your donkey today. You've got to chase me around here today. But if you see me when I go, you'll have it. He says, but if not, it won't be so. And so he warns him. He, he gives him now an under full understanding of what it takes to get what you need from God. It takes focus. It takes determination. It takes how to deal with boredom without getting stupid. You got me? It, it takes how to deal with the routine without deciding you're going to quit. It takes how to deal with disappointment instead of giving up on the prayer that you've been praying all this time. You got me? It takes all of that in order to get to the next level in God. And so Elisha decides he's not going to separate. All these people have tried to tell him to separate. All these people have been around for a long time, tried to discourage him. It's the worst thing in the world to get involved with people of God who are old in God and think they've missed it. And then they come and want to try and discourage the younger ones because they think the younger ones think they know it all. But God smartens up younger people, too. He lets them know when, when you ain't talking right, he lets them know exactly what's going on. Amen? <clears throat> so his time chasing donkeys has prepared him for this, not to let go of the man of God until he gets what he wants. Sons of prophets were with Elijah all the time, but they did not succeed him. So this is where God separates the true from the false, the strong from the weak, the ones who are going to finish strong and maintain strength throughout their walk from the other ones who, who are just going to barely make it. So God's choice 
was Elisha all the time. He looked over, he skipped over them sons of the prophets. They're not mentioned by name because they refuse to chase their donkeys. They refuse to fight the boredom. They're looking for something exciting. They're wondering, they're probably picking lots trying to figure out who's going to be the next great, who's going to wear the mantle, who's going to have all the stuff, who's going to do this and who's going to do that, and really it's none of them. That's why God, when he chooses people, sometimes they'll rise up out of obscurity. But everybody's always trying to be the next somebody instead of being themselves that God called them to be. Amen. Elisha's not trying to be the next Elijah. He's trying to get the work of God done, and he knows what's necessary to get it done. And so he knows this man of God is anointed, and he wants as much of that anointing as he can get because he knows that's how it's transferred. And so it says <clears throat> these, these uh, uh, sons of, of the prophets, and, and I'll probably end here, carry what we refer to as a hindering spirit. And this is what you have to be careful of, chasing donkeys. They're hindering spirits that really masquerade. They're, they're really spirits of doubt. And they feed doubt that creeps up in our minds. So they carried this hindering spirit. They thought they were ready, but they weren't able to fight the boredom and routine like Elijah was, Elisha. Now, he paid his price somewhere else. You can pay your price somewhere else and then step into the arena that God wants you to step into. You don't have to be the faithful. See, that's how Baptist people get pulling guns on each other in church. They think because they've been here in this place for 20 years that they're automatically do something. You got me? You ain't automatically do nothing. You have to be the person that God picks. And sometimes those people can pay the price better when they're away from all them crazy gun-toting people, deacons and demons and elders and all that kind of stuff. And they just bring somebody in fresh. Then if they stayed there all the time and they're steeped in all that tradition, man-pleasing, religion, and all that nonsense. And so <clears throat> they carried a hindering spirit. Hindering spirits will make excuses for not paying the price. Amen. Well, you know, I was tired. I didn't, didn't make it in the church. The snow was too deep. It was deep on everybody. huh? And so, you know, it'll make excuses through reasoning. You look for a reason, you'll find it. You mix it with a little self-pity and you've got a trap for yourself. And see, once you've made that excuse for such a long period of time, it's hard to break out of that because you've created a jail and a stronghold that you put yourself into. I've seen, I, I used to see people, people would come, and come to church late. Well, the kids held me up. Now it's the grandkids. You understand me? That's a stronghold because you built that prison for yourself by letting that be an excuse for always showing up to the house of God, not on time. So now, not only is it your kids, but the kids and got old and got grandkids, you're bringing them and they making you late. See, we got now a generational tradition of excuse making. It's always the same, folks. It, it's never going to change unless we repent and break out of it. God, you know this is wrong. I should be able to get to your house on time. I'm expecting you to do great things for me. Look at all that you've done for me. 
Some people are crazy enough to think that when they come in late, that means they're, they're, they don't need God as much as you do. And we look at them and we think, well, how crazy can you be? You mean you get more of God by being away from here and we get less? See, the devil's already screwed, got a, a loose screw up there and unscrewing it, getting it looser and looser all the time. I remember back in the old days, they would have the choir never sat in, the, in with the congregation. I was so glad they got rid of the choirs and started having praise teams. And you go sit right in there and you listen to the word with everybody. They even have a saying, preach to the choir, as though choir people don't need to be preached to. And so we have this stupid tradition among us that says if you come in looking busy and walking real fast and late, that means you're important. And the people who sit here are stupid and they just need God. They don't, you know, they're beneath you. See, the trick of the devil is to get you to miss what God has for you. Take the routine and make it wrong. Something wrong with it. I'm not supposed to be doing this. I should be doing something else. I should be doing more. And you never should be doing something else than serving God. Mary and Martha had a, a controversy with this. Martha, you know, Martha was up and doing things. Well, she had a nervous devil. Some people just don't want to sit still. Huh? What did he do? And then she started blaming her. Well, she won't come help me. Huh? And Jesus says, she ain't your problem. He said, Martha, your problem is you got a lot of problems. Mary ain't your problem. Huh? Who, who's not doing something that's never your problem? What somebody else is not doing that you think you're the only one doing? We just read a story about that person. And that, that's what bought Elijah early ticket out of there. I'm the only one. I've been doing your work. Everybody's backslid but me. I'm the only one. I do all the work around here. I carry all the weight around here. The last people who said that aren't here anymore, and they don't even know how they got out of here. Huh? I was praying for, for someone in that condition recently. And I kept hearing this voice while I was praying, you know, kind of like a response. And the voice kept saying, well, at least when we, went to the, when we went to church, when we were there, we had food to eat. At least when we went to church, we had food to eat. At least when we went to church, we had food to eat. And I said, well, Lord, what is that? And he said, they will be begging for bread. They will be begging for bread. What does the Bible say? Not even your seed will beg bread if you're a righteous person. But if you step out of righteousness and you get over into disobedience, you will wish you hadn't done it. You got me? And so when God does something, folks, he does it for our good. He's not trying to get you to... Do something that somebody else don't want to do. Don't ever get the impression that something you do for God is a burden. Once it gets to be a burden, you get on your knees and you start asking God to help you to quit looking around at other things 
and keep yourself focused on him. Sometimes you wish you could have enough strength back to get up and do some of the things you see that you used to grumble about doing. We all, you can get there. Everybody gets there to see. Why? Because God says that he, he cannot deny himself. If something's true, he's going to let you see it's true. You understand? You might be on the wrong end of the knowledge of it, but he's not going to leave you ignorant and thinking that he was taking advantage of you because you thought you were the only one who was working for him. Same thing with Elijah. When he started to get too tired to work for God, what does God do? He takes him up on it. He said, okay, but it's, I'm going to keep you around for another four years, long enough for you to train somebody else to take your place. But I do have some more people besides you that don't bow to the devil. I got as many people as I want to raise up. And so God will enlighten us and help us to understand what he's doing. Sometimes we don't get the enlightenment. It'd be nice if you got it on this side of your obedience so you can continue to be obedient, correct yourself. But whether you get it on this side or the other side, God will show you. He'll always show you what his will is for you and that his will is the best thing for you. Amen? Why don't we stop? Father in heaven, we thank you for, <coughs> amen, giving us understanding. Thank you, Lord, that we're obedient to your will. We're obedient to your word. We're obedient to your ways. We thank you. We bless you. We praise you. We magnify you in Jesus' name. And thank you, Lord. We bless you. And we thank you for blessing our bread and our water and taking sickness from the midst of us, Father. We thank you for fellowship time that we have with you. And we bless you. And we praise you, Lord. And we thank you for it. If there's somebody that wants prayer, you can come up and get prayer while I'm up here.